Welcome to The Compassionate Life with Dr. Brittany King. In this hour, you'll hear stories about kindness, selflessness, and of course, compassion. The hope is that you'll be inspired to create some compassionate moments of your very own. Now, here is Dr. Brittany King. Hi, thanks for joining us this week on The Compassionate Life. This is Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And actually, this is our very last week and segment of the show. And this week, we have a pretty impressive woman to speak with. Um, Her name is Fiona Oaks. I'm going to give a little background about her. Uh, We met in 2015 when we were running the 777 Quest together as part of the Link team going for a Guinness Book of Records attempt. Um, But she actually lives in the UK. Uh, Fiona is absolutely incredible. Um, She's an elite marathon athlete, a vegan. She has founded her own animal sanctuary. Um, She truly is a role model for everyone out there. Um, Her animal sanctuary is called Tower Hill Stables, and it is in Essex in the UK. And she actually provides love, housing care, feeding, veterinary care to 400 rescued animals. And then Fiona herself is an outstanding triple Guinness World Record holder. She has competed literally all over the world. Um, Her records include being the fastest woman to run a marathon on every continent and the North Pole. And she does all of this, all of her athletic endeavors um, to raise funds for her passion. And that is to go right back into the animal sanctuary to be able to, to provide all the all the care, the food, the the veterinary um, expenses that are that are needed for housing a sanctuary. Um, and she actually developed this passion at a, a really young age and luckily very much supported by her family. Um, she is an honorary patron of the Vegan Society, a patron of the Captive Animals Protection Society, and she is the founder of the largest vegan running club running club in the world, and that's called Vegan Runners. And like I said before, she devotes really every waking moment to this passionate cause she believes in. And we're going to get to hear all about what drives this incredible superwoman. Um, So thank you, Fiona, so much for joining us. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. And you're very welcome. I'm very, very glad to, to be speaking to you again, Brittany. (laughs) <laughs> I know it's been it's that uh, we have not actually spoken since. Uh, no, we've emailed, but we haven't actually spoken. It spoken. seems really weird to not be chained to you <laughs> <laughs> with a bungee line. You know? With a bungee line, yeah. So for our listeners, our our world record attempt was. Um, seven of us well it started with a little a larger group and we had by the end we had a you know a good sized group but we were literally linked together with bungee cords and like carabiners to our waist and we ran marathons together on every continent like seven continents seven days ideally um um, seven, well, seven marathons, but we ended up being closer to 11, 11 days for that last little continent delay. But um, that was that was experience of a lifetime. <laughs> I mean, it was it, like rushing through customs dressed as a cow. <laughs> <laughs> you were, and you still, I mean, like we're all focused on trying to be um, appropriately dressed for each marathon. And here's Fiona, I mean, still passionately like promoting her cause and, and veganism and she's dressed in this cow suit for the majority of the marathons all over her running clothes and if you want to think about the logistics of being tied into a group and then we're talking about potty breaks in between all throughout the marathon like it just and then we had we had the cow 
Oh, how we laughed, Brittany. <laughs> I know. There was there were there were definitely some uh, negative and, and positive moments of that <laughs> that quest, but I really think it all it certainly uh, bonded people together and it made people appreciate each one of us was doing it for a different cause or reason. So, um, well, that's not, that's not really, I mean, I, I, yes, we get to talk about that a little bit, but you're so, you have so many incredible things, um, going on in your life. I mean, really just from, I'd like to kind of start from the basics. Um, yes, when I loved, loved, we were going to talk about veganism, but, um, you know, your passion. So your, when was your very first marathon and, can you tell us about your, I mean, your physical challenge with your knee and, and all that? Yeah, I mean, really, I started, I can't, it's a bit of a daze, actually. I mean, I started, I come from a cycling background, and when we moved to the sanctuary 20 years ago, I didn't have time to focus all the energy and expense it takes to kind of road race and track ride. You kind of have to train for, like, three, four hours a day if you bike riding. Um, so when we moved here, all my energy went directly into caring for the sanctuary, sanctuary animals. That was around about 1996. But I am a really, really competitive person so I and also I enjoy keeping fit so I thought well what can I do that's relatively cheap it's flexible it's um, it's economical you can go out whenever wherever you want alone literally all you need is a pair of sneakers and you can go out and you can train and run so I started off you know classic case of jogging didn't think I'd ever really be particularly great at running because I've got this injury on the right side when I was a teenager I had my kneecap removed, so I was told then, yeah, you're not going to walk again properly, let alone do anything, you know, wow. like running. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I know, yes. I know. So yes. I just thought, you know, even now, if people actually see me in full flight, not that full flight is that fast for me, but I kind of limp to one side with this, with this yeah. appalling injury that I've got. But so I never actually, I didn't like set out with a grand plan and think, hmm, in, in 10 years' time I will be running, you know, elite, on the elite starts, of, you know, the biggest marathons in the world, and that kind of thing. It just kind of fell into place. So I started off like everybody else, just jogging. Then I kind of thought, well, what, what would it be like to enter a race? And this was kind of even before the internet. So, you know, there was no sort of great social network that you can actually work out training plans. So it's, all my training is done alone uh, by trial and error. And more errors and more trials than I can tell you. Um, and um, I suppose my first competitive race was back in the late 90s, uh, half marathons that I won. And then I thought, hmm, I think I could use this for the benefit of the animals in some way, more than just going out, keeping fit, showing that I'm a pretty strong runner. Um, I think I can do something really positive here. So um, I started to, to kind of think, focus on a marathon. Um, and my first marathon was in Moscow. I, I know, uh, that sounds strange, but I wanted to go back there. I'd been back there with my cycling career, and I wanted to go back just after Perestroika. So I went back into the Moscow Marathon, and oh, um, no, I that's think I amazing. came about 10th in that race. And I thought, yeah, I think wow. I can actually do something good here with, with the running and just kind of focus on how to get the times down. Sort of, you know what it's like, but you kind of think there's always a goal in the marathon. So if you run yeah. 3.15, you want to run sub-3. You run sub-3, you want to run sub-2.50. You run sub-2.50, you want to run sub-2.40. They're all those kind of thresholds. Um, and it took <laughs> off from there. Um, and I started to get 
the qualifying times for elite starts in races, you know, the sub 245. And um, from then, I, you know, that's when I started the Vegan Running Club because I thought, hey-ho, this is a way, basically, of getting amongst shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with the best runners in the world and advertising the word vegan in a positive way because they can't yeah. fail to show it when they're scanning across the start line. You know, here's so-and-so from Ethiopia and Kenya and these tiny little athletic gazelle-looking like girls and then there's me standing there with my vegan runner top on um, and I don't look like a conventional marathon runner in that I'm pretty much bigger than most of them. Uh, and when I say I run, people say, oh, what, what, sprinter, 400 meters, 800 meters? <laughs> no <laughs> a way. A bit more, you know, is that marathon? Uh, yeah. I don't think that. <laughs> that's about that, really, and it's just continued on. That's, and, yeah, that's, so that's that's basically it. So, that no, that, I mean, that's absolutely incredible. First off, I mean, I, I totally understand the competitive nature. And I think a lot for a lot of runners, it, it really is. I mean, it's your, you're competing against yourself. You just, you yeah. set higher the bar higher and higher. And yeah. um, I started running kind of in the same way. I was hanging up the swimsuit after college and mm-hmm. I wanted to move to something that was easier that didn't involve twice daily showers yeah. and driving somewhere to get my exercise re- you know routine in and, and running is, is so easy. I mean, you don't have to have a gym membership. You just, have a pair of sneakers it's easier to commit you wake up you don't even know what you're doing mm. you put your sneakers on and you go you go for yeah. a jog and you come back um, but great. then and you feel good and yeah. I mean I'm a morning runner so I know you or you run well we'll talk we'll talk about your routine later but you run all the time when you can get it in because you're so involved with your your sanctuary and your passion but um I mean it's I think I really think well, I kind of feel a lot like um, veganism. I mean, even your athletic endeavors can be a lot in the environment and mm. using things you have. And you don't have to have a gym membership and go somewhere and, and you know lift lift weights. I mean, if you if you get cardio in, if it's twenty minutes, if it's if it's ten minutes, if it's a jog, if it's a walk, if it's moving plants and gardening. I mean, those are all healthy ways of of just increasing your. Oh, your athletic endeavors and, and metabolism and, I don't know, just overall health, really. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're really so true. I mean, people have said to me, oh, I can't run like you. I'm never going to run. And I think it's not just about, it's all relative. It's all relative to what you mm-hmm. can do yourself. And like I say, some people's some 245 marathon is another, you know, um, sort of, two-mile power jog or power walk. It's all relative to what you feel comfortable. But the important thing is that you don't get hung up and you actually go out there and actually do something. Because anything, something is better than nothing. And I always say to people, like if they approach me and say, oh, you know, how do you do it? And I'm never going to do this. I say, but you've, you've done it already. You've actually got off the couch and you've gone and done something. that You've won. You've won, actually. You've, you've, you've broken the back of it kind of thing. And um, that's how I feel. I mean, I don't, you know, because people say, oh, I'm never going to run two 38 in a marathon you're so good and I think no I'm not because if I stand next to somebody who is really good I know I'm not that great you know what I mean so I do have my feet on the ground and I, I realize that you know you can only be the best you can be but it's, it's, it's great that people are inspired to go out there and be the best they can be and want to be right. absolutely yeah. no I, I mean I really I really think that is it's it's it, it's supporting what your, I mean, your your personal passion is, like, get out there, get involved, whether it's couch to 5K. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, 
It's the, we'll talk about, I mean, mental, I mean, you've mentioned that many, many times when we've talked before, but in, you know, recent interviews that you've, you've done, it's so much of your, your athletic achievements or, I mean, your couch to 5k or whatever it is that gets you through your day, day to day life. Maybe it doesn't include a, you know, a a run that day. Maybe it's every other day, but it's your mental, your mental state and your mental positivity and your mental capacity that gets you through whatever it is you're facing. Mm. And it's having that strength and determination because I think that's the one thing the marathon does give you. It gives you enormous amount of focus and mental strength. Um, because it is tough out there. It's tough for everyone. It's like you said, a really, really important point. People say to me, uh, when, when you go out there and you kind of race the marathon, and I'm thinking, I've never raced a marathon in my life. I don't know many people who, even at the top level, can actually race a marathon. You don't sort of get to, like, you know, you know 35K and think, right, I'm going to up my pace here. And I'm just going to, you know, you don't do that. You're just racing against yourself. And funny enough, I've got a friend who, who was involved with a clothing company called UVU, um, mm-hmm. the letters. And it is just about you versus you. I mean, um, and, and, and getting yourself to the finish. And I, with the marathon, even that, it's only about... I Probably, it probably is 70% physical ability, but 30% mental ability, because if you crack, you're just blown, you're just out of the way. So, I mean, it, it does, and I think it helps you in, in all aspects of your life. It gives you a strength and a discipline in everything you do that translates to everything you do. Absolutely. That's what I found personally. Absolutely. Well, we are actually due for a really quick break. So um, we are going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back here in about two minutes. And um, we're speaking with Fiona Oaks, um, truly superwoman. (laughs) And um, she's living in the UK, Animal Sanctuary founder. And we'll be right back after this message. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to The Compassion. 
compassionate life. To reach Dr. Brittany King or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And we're back. I'm Dr. King, and we're speaking with Fiona Oaks um, out of the UK. She's an elite vegan marathon runner. Um, that's just one description of her. Um, so I'd like I'd like to read a quote that um, she had recently said, and it and it says that um, I mean she's she has world records, three Guinness World Records, and marathon completions all over the world. And and one thing she said is that she knows when she stands at the start line of any race, no other creature has suffered for the f- performance she is about to give. It's just her against her. No cruelty or pain involved, apart from that which she's prepared to inflict upon herself. Obviously the running um, and this is of utmost importance to her and it, and it makes her feel comfortable about what she's about to do so um, <clears throat> that's in regards to veganism and I wanted to talk this segment about um, your lifestyle choice it was from very early on and and I mean how it's it's really driven your your passion for the animal sanctuary and everything. So um, you chose this at a, at a really young age, right, Fiona? Yeah, I went vegetarian when I was three years old by choice. None of my family were vegetarian or vegan at the time, and then um, purely because born out of a love, a very childlike love of animals. In other words, if you love something, you do not harm it. You wouldn't harm your mom. You wouldn't harm your sister. You wouldn't harm your brother. Therefore, oh. why would I? harm the things I love, which are the animals. Um, And I I knew very very obviously that the the meat was the flesh of an animal. Um, So that went on for a couple of years. Then I started to ask mum things like, well, why do you you have milk? Why why doesn't the cow need the milk for a baby? Why doesn't the chicken keep her eggs? Why why have we got these things? How how do we know she wants us to have them? And then my mum kind of had to answer very honestly. And from that point on, that was out for me. I was vegan, and I have been ever since. Um, I will say at this point, this was a long time ago. This was back in the 70s, when it would definitely, definitely was not easy. Vegan was not even a word that was, would necessarily end people's vocabulary. And if it did, they wouldn't fully understand what it meant. Um, no. But, um, yeah, no, mom, really. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's very new. It's very new age. I mean, we talk about... Just being more environmentally conscious and health conscious vegetarian versus, but it is, it really is more new. Um, yeah. Sorry, keep going. You didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, um, but fortunately, my mom was the pianist um, when she was much younger. She still plays the piano, but she had a music teacher at school who was a vegan. And it was almost like, they were saying, uh, in the 50s, this was, Miss Ball was almost like a Martian compared, you know, wow. a vegan. I mean, they, they, nobody quite understood what Miss Ball ate and, and where it came from and why. But because mum had kept in touch with her, she was able to go to this lady who was able to kind of articulate in adult terms exactly what the ethic behind it was, that it wasn't harmful. It was a very passive diet. It was cruelty-free based in Miss Ball's case as well. And that helped my mum get through what she was struggling to understand herself, uh, bearing in mind she wasn't vegan or vegetarian. And, you know, my family aren't, aren't particularly greatly 
animal lovers. I mean, it's not like I was brought up in an environment where animals were everywhere. I really wasn't. This was something purely inside me. And that would lead me to say that that's why I do believe the, pro- the, the um, impact of positive role models for youngsters is really, really important in, in their help to identify themselves and for those around them to, to, to understand and have comparisons, which they can say, hey, you know, it's not so bad. My child wants to be vegetarian or vegan, but, you know, I've got role models or examples of adults who've done this and it's not harmful to their, their growth or their mental ability. It, it, so I think role models, positive role models, are really, really important. And that's why I always try to endeavor to be one if I can to be honest with you, because I believe that children and young people are the planet's future after all. And so right. to educate them or to at least share with them what I believe to make, for them to make their own decisions is really, really important. I, I mean, it, that that's absolutely incredible. I mean, truly, um, you are such a positive role model. I mean, I was inspired by you just meeting you, you know, at triple seven, but I mean, it is. I mean, being having positive role models, whatever your passion is. Mm. But um, I mean, you've inspired me to consider my personal eating choices truthfully. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say what state what state I'm at, but have very seriously been considering um, you know different levels that mm. that you've gone to, um, just because of my personal experience of increased. Uh, seeing a, a increased rate of cancer i mean mm-hmm. in the animal side and my i've got a really good a close friend that's a human er doctor and and her you know just sharing knowledge of her increased rate of, of prevalence she's seeing there in, in the human side and it's i mean i really feel so much of it is just what we're doing what we're consuming what we're mm-hmm. inflicting upon this planet and and then what we're consuming and um, you know, I, I think everything's a personal choice and, and things you need to wrestle with and research about and decide what's best for you. But um, I, I just know that um, you've been a, a super inspirational role model just to me, and I'm not that much younger. <laughs> but, but you know, you can be a role model at any age, truly. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, we met. I mean, we met some young people on our our last adventure together that were role models. You know, at a very young age. So, um, I mean, I. I think it's, I, I think it speaks volumes just how passionate you were so very early on too, and that you, uh, by by Charles or stance, you know, by by stars or, or chance, sorry, and, and destiny that you, um, you know, you had that pianist that uh, was there to guide you and then guide the family is is incredible. Yeah, I think I think actually it is important with the family because back then, especially, you know, my mom was accused of child abuse. You know, literally, you know, yeah, yeah. And even now I get youngsters coming over to me and saying, you know, even in Parra de Coro, where I was at the weekends, some of the Portuguese uh, children, you know, young adults, I should call them, um, came over to me and said, you know, how did you handle it with your family or my family aren't keen on this idea? Um, I've had people all over the planet, you know, when I was doing the the world record attempt, I was running a marathon in Siberia and um, one girl, um, it was the Omsk Marathon, she came over to me and said, oh my God, it's, it's so, so blessed that you are actually here and my family can actually come out and see you run because I want to go vegan. I've been vegetarian. They frowned upon that. They think now that I'm going to be anemic and Mm -hmm. literally I'm going to keel over and die if I go fully plant-based. And by having someone 
here actually in front of them doing what you're doing it was on you know kind of mainstream Russian TV um, it, it, it was it was so positive for her she said because finally that they can you know rather than me just showing them somebody in a magazine or there's somebody actually in front of them doing that and it puts their minds at rest because there real, are still an awful lot of myths and kind of always superstitions surrounding veganism and that's why it's important even now I find you know the media and the press are very reluctant to address veganism in a positive way. For instance, mm-hmm. when I came back from Namibia, I did a stage race in Namibia early on in the year, and my local BBC contacted me and said, you know, hey, hey, we'd like to do an interview. And I thought, oh, about the race, perhaps? Oh, no, no, no. Could you comment on the lady <laughs> who died on Everest? I said, well, you know, what, what do you mean? She said, well, she was a vegan. I said, well, yeah, but I don't think she died on Everest because she was a vegan. But she was a vegan. Really. No. You know, and I, and the same thing, you know, I said, anyway, I didn't know her. I said, there aren't like six vegans in the world and I, like, we all know each other. I mean, you know, I, I said, but I would more think that she died on Everest because, like, Everest is a really dangerous place to be. And, yeah. you know, people die there on a regular basis. But if you see what I mean, they picked right. up on the fact of her veganism yeah. and automatically blamed this death on that Rather oh, than awful. Kind of, yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's just the way it is. It is. No, it's so true. I mean, media is, hmm, we like media, but media can be very biased um, for yeah, whatever media fits is the by boat. Advertising <laughs> and, yeah, it's, 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 to be honest with you, Brittany, the more I've gone on, I, I actually went on. The only reason that I ever started running, I always say very categorically to people, please don't ask me about training tips and advice. I'm happy to share with you all I know, but I'm mm-hmm. not the expert in nutrition mm-hmm. for this or anything. I just go and put, you know, I'm the, I'm the person like running around the house looking for the sock two minutes before I'm kind of due to set off to actually go <laughs> running. The, the, I, I, the only time I actually think about running is the time that I'm, I'm contemplating where my kit is and getting out there and doing it. And then as soon as I get back, I just drop it back out and do the the animals. It's not something that consumes my life by any stretch of the imagination. And so um, it's it's kind of of really weird for people to be asking me, you know, how do you do this and how do you do that? And I just think I just go off and do it. You know, I mean, I I really am not that deep a thinker when it comes to to running. But I do it for a reason. And I, I think that's what probably gives me the slight edge in that I'm... I'm not kind of out there just thinking, you know, I'd really like that trophy or, you know, right. I've really got to get another few seconds off my time. I think if I, let, if I let myself down, it's not just myself here that's at stake. It's the animals I'm trying to help and the reputation of what I really believe in very strongly, which is kind of promoting veganism in kind of a positive and proactive and, and peaceful way, as I believe it is an ultimately peaceful ethic rather than just a diet. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's leaving that minimal footprint on earth. I yeah. mean, truly. Um, I mean, I think it's, uh, by the way, she talks about, she just happens to put on her sock right before. I mean, uh, Fiona Oaks runs like two hours and two and a half hours ish marathons and has world records, three Guinness world records. So this, I mean, you're super talented Fiona. Um, and it's, I mean, it's in, I, I do think a lot of it is just, I mean, sometimes it's just, it's passion. It's your heart and your head and you just do it. I mean, I did the, I felt like I did a lot of the English channel that way. Some of my, I'm nowhere at the level that you are, but some of my athletic adventures have been very much the same. So often wrong, but never in doubt. Your heart and your head is there. You get it done. You just do it. You just, you, you get through yeah, it. When you look back on it, you don't know where it came from or how mm-hmm. you dragged it out of yourself. But, but you right. do it. 
when you're there, you just get on and do it. Whether it's the belief in not letting one to, not wanting to let yourself down or others down, you just get out yeah. there and, like you say, you dig deep and you do it. Absolutely. Oh, that's, I couldn't say it better. Um, well, unfortunately, we're due for another quick break. <laughs> so we're going to take a super short little um, commercial break. We'll be right back um, to speak again with Fiona. We're going to talk more about her animal sanctuary that she's founded and all the animals that she ha- helps because it's super important to me being a veterinarian and and everything she's helping out of, honestly, the goodwill of her heart. So we'll be right back after this break. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Women in sport has come a long way in a reasonably short time. In the 1950s, most women's sport was casual, recreational competition, followed by snacks or a light lunch. Today, women's sport is competitive, powerful, and in the mainstream. Whether it's collegiate, Olympics, or professional leagues, tune in to Women and Sport The Long Road Up, where you'll discover the path that women's sport has taken over the past 50 years and more. Featuring your host, Carol A. Oglesby. Listen Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America empowerment follow us on twitter for more great ideas at voice america empowerment you are listening to the compassionate life to reach dr Brittany king or her guest today please call into our program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com now back to the show all right, we're back. Thanks for joining us again for the last half hour of our segment. We're speaking with Fiona Oaks, um, superwoman, basically. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about you founded an animal sanctuary, and that's what you use all of your running endeavors and everything you're passionate about. I mean, just really in this world um, to help animals and things you care about. Um, I wanted to talk about that this segment. So when did you found um, Tower Hill Stables? Well, it was... 20 years ago, it was formally founded, basically 20 years ago, practically to this month. Um, I was doing the rescue from kind of an, I won't say unsuitable set of circumstances, but you know the kind of thing, you suddenly look around your house and you think, my God, there's animals everywhere and I haven't got land outside. You know, I'm just living in a kind of normal domestic environment with horses at farms, livery yards. Um, And then uh, basically, to cut a long story short, I was working in London in a merchant bank. I had the horses, you know, housed elsewhere on farms. Um, One night I cycled home. I found, I called the horses. One didn't come. It was an elderly ex-race horse called Oscar. I went to look for him in the field. He'd had a terrible accident. And then, I mean, I nearly lost him. He was at the vet for 13 weeks. 
kind of gouged his hind quarter out. And in the time he was in there every day, I used to go and visit him and just swear to him, if ever he could come home, it would be to a place that I could care for him on my terms, the way I wanted them cared for, rather than kind of the negligence of just people who were doing it for money. Um, and, um, yeah, we, two days before Oscar came, was, was released from the vets, we actually managed to purchase this property, Tower Hill Stables. But it really, really wasn't easy. I mean, my parents, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, sister, everybody kind of had to put everything they got into trying to make that jump from kind of no land to land. And we live in the southeast of England, and, it, you know, land is expensive here. It was very mm-hmm. important that we stay here because my partner was working full-time um, in London um, to actually pay for the animals. So we got this really difficult position that, we, we, you know, we, we needed to move. Uh, we were living in a very expensive area, and um, it, 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 was, it, was, it was really, really, really tough. I, I, don't, I still don't quite know how we did it, but um, fortunately we did. And then um, the minute we moved in, it just kind of exploded. Not literally, it didn't explode. But, I mean, you know, um, I was able to then rescue the animals that I really have always wanted to help, which is ex-farmed animals, the animals that I feel really suffering because yeah. In, in, in like all the industries, animal agriculture, and um, and that's when it took off. And now we've got uh, fifty acres, um, five sites, and uh, we just keep keep taking animals in and caring and helping wherever we can in a responsible fashion. I mean that's 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 amazing. I mean it's super inspirational. It's it's you're following your dream. Mm-hmm. I remember doing a rotation as a veterinary student um, where I went to the you know the packing plant and and we learned about like cold animals and animals that weren't fit and and then what happens to those and you know I mean you're providing rescue for I mean any anything and everything and now you have about is it. 400 animals yeah, rescued right now? Yeah, we've got 400 animals, yeah. We've got 61 horses, 84 pigs, 17 goats, you know, and endless ducks. We've got 12 dogs, 37 cats, 11 sheep. Oh. We've got cattle, turkeys. We've got peacocks, hens, cockles, rabbits, smaller animals. You name it, we've got it. We're just a massive <laughs> family, a very large family, very varied <laughs> family, but we are a family. It's, we do it all ourselves. Marty, my partner, myself, my parents mm-hmm. have just moved in. We are the care providers because we believe in continuity of care and we didn't want it to be some kind of giant asylum or business where people just come and sort of, you know, oh, take that pony down to stall number 37 and, you know, a vet will be down in a a moment. We wanted it to be kind of a real home for them where they feel loved, they feel safe, they feel protected. And I think very often the best way of doing that is especially when animals are vulnerable, they're damaged mentally and physically, is to make them feel secure and get the security from their environment and the caregiver can give great security because it's continuous and there's a very, so I won't say strict regime. I deliver a strict regime, but it's never delivered to them in a strict way. But they do need routine. They need, because I think that's where they get their security from. The knowledge that the next meal will come. It won't come with a beating. It won't come with kind yeah. of um, irregular, irrational behavior from the, the person delivering that. You know, it's, it's very continuous, very peaceful environment for them in which they can kind of uh, mend, heal mentally and physically. And I think that is really, really important. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I mean, that is, that's beautifully put. Um, I mean, I see that on a day-to-day basis, like, 
um, at our clinic at Montrose Veterinary Clinic in Houston, we have, you know, certain pets that will come in maybe from a, a puppy stage and you're, you, it's that continuity of care where I'm building that bond with the yeah. pet, with the animal, with the owner. And it's this whole pet family relationship that's going on. And I have pets that will come in and, and maybe they're older and they're super aggressive or they're super fearful. I've had some that have followed me from other clinics because I've been the only veterinarian that can touch them or relate to this animal. And it's, I mean, it, it can be still fearful for us, but that continuity of care and that loving environment, peaceful environment, it's not going to be a, a harmful nail trimmer I mean that that's uh you know my side my level but yours is completely different when you when we're talking about you know um terrible environments and and more farm animal related and and things like that too so um I think that's uh, you know and it it speaks volumes I mean 400 animals I have I'm a veterinarian and I have a one dog I care for right now and you're speaking you know you're taking care of 400 with just your family Mm. and I mean, how, I mean, how do you, honestly, how do you fit it all in? I know you're, we've talked about running from the very beginning, but I mean, you've shared with me and, and you can expand upon it, but you wake up at, you know, 3.30, before, 3:30 in the morning to yeah. get things going. And that you're also still putting in your running routine and your training. I mean, yeah. what is, if you want to sum it up, I mean, you don't have to go into a ton of detail if you don't want to, but um, your day-to-day like schedule what does that look like for you well obviously there's a very basic schedule things that always have to be done and then you have to kind of factor in the things that you don't expect that you expect to have the unexpected because you've got 400 rescues here so for instance you know rescuing the swan yesterday Gandalf and getting him to the vet immediately that's kind of all got to be factored in but the baseline yep. is the animals come first and so I have to, in order to, to run, I have to get up early. I get kind of the, the medications done, the admin work that people forget that's got to be done, the legislation and, and legal requirements right. for keeping this many animals, all got to be done Absolutely. very responsibly. Um, the caregiving, I mean, obviously all the stables, the stalls, everything, I, I have to muck out myself. And then it's, people forget things like, you know, the huge amounts of deliveries that have to be brought to the place to actually feed the animals and um, the hidden extras that people don't think of. Um, so it's just a hectic day. But I always say, if you really want to do something, you will find time to do it. You and um, it, they, we've got a saying in the UK, if you want something done, ask a busy person. <laughs> I generally, oh, you know what I mean? That, I have not heard that. That is awesome. That is yeah. so true. And so you, <laughs> you know, you, you do find yourself, you know, okay, okay, I've got to find time for this. Do I want to run or not? Do I want to be a role model for the animals via the running? Yes, I do. So I will literally get, you know, the head torch. I'll get the head torch on in the night if I've got too late evening, and I will go out and train then. Um, I, I just will always find a way. I'm a very disciplined person in terms of regime. And I don't know about you as a runner, but I find like you could all, I could always find an excuse not to run. I mean, it could be anything in the weather. It could be, oh, I'm just a bit running late or something. But I think you, what's the difference between today and tomorrow? So you, you just find a way of squeezing it in um, yeah. because Excuse you know that. that you've got to to be your best. 
I squeezed in my extra 20 minutes that I missed this morning before this interview. I mean, it's, you <laughs> squeeze it in, truly. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, I mean, you do. Yeah. And so, as I say, and I think, you know, people get, you know, uh, I think they get a bit, a bit bogged down. So I find so the only time I have problems, actually, is when I actually stop at the pace. And you kind of think, ah, oh, I've just got a few days now. And that's when I kind of get, get, get the snuffles and get the colds and things. When I keep going, I'm, I'm really, it's just on a roll. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it just happens. And you know how to make it happen. But as I say, uh, the first priority is the caregiving of the animals and everything else is secondary to that. That's why I always strictly emphasize, although my achievements, especially on the elite start, have been kind of semi-professional, I am very much an amateur in terms of my running and even the money no. I spend on my running. Even... No way are you amateur. <laughs> I mean, you blow my mind. I mean, um, another statistic I've not, I don't think I've stated, but um, she's placed top 20 uh, places in two of the world major marathon series, as well as top 10s in gold marathon, marathon, Gold Standard Marathons, Amsterdam, Rio, Moscow, Florence, Great North Run. I mean, you are not you're not amateur. You're you're ap- absolutely incredible. But but I, I mean, it's so true. You just you what drives you is your passion. Whatever your passion is, life you get things done if that's what you're using. And that that's what I mean. That's been a lot of this uh, radio interview um, show type series has been. Is I mean, really to try to get people inspired to whatever their passion is, use your talent for good and yeah, make it and yeah, happen. Share and it. And I think you have, to, you have to believe you can be the person you want to be. You have to mm-hmm. believe you can do that. I mean, whatever you want to do. Okay, you can't change the world, but you can change the part of the world around you. And if everyone did that, we would change the world. If everyone had that belief and determination to not just sit there and say, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it, so I just won't do anything. If you do something and, every, and the person next to you does something, then we're really going to get the job done, you know, uh, for the planet, for the environment. I mean, as I say, the statistics are there for people. You know, whether you love animals, whether you love the environment, whether you love yourself, um, you need to be more conscientious and careful about the way you're using resources. That's kind of my passionate message. With the veganism, it used to be just don't hurt animals. That's where I came from originally. But now mm-hmm. it's kind of moved on to more by not hurting the animals, you really are saving yourself. You're saving the environment. You're saving the future of your kids and grandchildren by just considering what your actions are and going out there and doing something positive to influence other people to, to start Think, realizing that, yeah, we're all tiny little entities, but together we can make a difference if we all become more aware and, and, and willing to do it, uh, you know, and, and realize that every little um, action you take has a significance in, in the world and make that significance for the good rather from the, than for the bad, I guess. No, well, that's... That's perfect. I mean, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, just, I mean, positivity and then giving it back and the smallest footprint you can make as far as your consumption and your environmental impact, um, mm. truly, I mean, on this world. So, um, I mean, I think... Uh, I, f- I feel like we should have interviews of you on every station, every media, you know, weekly, truly. I mean, truly, Fiona, I mean, you really are um, an 
just a really great human. I mean, for uh, no other way to put it. But um, all right. Well, we are actually due, unfortunately, for another quick break. Um, But we're going to be back here to finish up our last segment with the fabulous Fiona um, just after this short commercial break. Thank you. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to The Compassionate Life. To reach Dr. Brittany King or her guest today, please call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to brittanyking.swimbet at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Thanks for joining us. We're speaking with the incredible Fiona Oaks. This is our very last show, very last segment. Um, If you've been listening, she is pretty much superwoman. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about her um, upcoming, well, she has a lot of um, really just media interviews, like conferences, um, even has has an upcoming documentary that's going to be filmed um, here, um, done some work with Cowspiracy. So Fiona, tell us about your very la- your conference you were at this past weekend. That was in Portugal, a vegetarian conference, right? Yeah, it was a, a conference. It's a pretty much a, 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 the world's first initiative in, of this sort. The mayor of a place called Padacora has actually taken it on board to actually promote veganism in a positive way um, through all factors of society. So they organized this conference. They've had um, uh, UN officials, MEPs, sort of Portuguese celebrities um, there to just promote all angles of veganism veganism as a conference to offer statistics, sound advice, role models to people that attended on why they feel and believe that the only way forward for the planet is um, a plant-based diet. Um, and I was actually there with them, um, amongst other people. I was talking to the... Um, 
one of the directors of the film Cowspiracy, um, Kip mm-hmm. Anderson, who, you know, I mean, if anybody wants to actually get a handle on this, perhaps they, they could go online or wherever and watch Cowspiracy. The figures and facts are all there for them to see. But, I mean, it's startling that, like in the U.S., they reckon 5% of water is used for domestic use, whereas 55% is used for animal agriculture, which is quite wow. shocking. And they reckon, you know, sort of statistics like 660 gallons of water throughout the cow's life calculated to make one quarter pound hamburger or, or beef burger or whatever the term is for them. Um, so the statistics are all there. So they're pro- trying to pr- promote plant-based in a positive way. So I was in Portugal at the weekend. Um, I've been involved with a film um, called The Game Changers. I don't know if you've heard of that, but uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's mm-hmm. involved in that, and James Cameron's funded a lot of it through his Avatar Foundation, um, which is showing people who they feel have made a positive uh, contribution to the planet by being vegan is vegan and helping animals. So I'm involved in that. That's due to be released, hopefully, uh, I think, at Robert Redford Sundance Film Festival in February. And um, next year I will be doing Marathon Sable, um, which we hope will be filmed. And the very, import- very important thing about filming Marathon de Sable, which is a seven-day self-sufficiency race across the Sahara Desert, it's really, really tough. Some people call it the toughest foot race on the planet. I've done it twice. Uh, but we think, obviously, it's very spectacular. It, it makes good cinematography. But also, it, it doesn't just show that a vegan woman... Uh, possibly dressed in a cow suit, but that's another thing, can run across the Sahara Desert for a week. Um, but it, we also want to graphically illustrate that uh, because it's self-sufficiency, so everything you have has to be carried in your backpack for the right. week, food, your bed, everything is in that pack. We want to very graphically illustrate to viewers how little you actually require to run a marathon a day carrying a huge backpack across the Sahara Desert in extreme temperatures and terrain. You've got a double marathon one day. Um, And how much, especially the Western world, take for granted and use, which is absolutely ludicrous. And it applies to water and food consumption. So I think if people actually see this tiny little pack on somebody's back that's got to last them a week, it hopefully might make them think, well, actually, I don't really need all this stuff that's been pushed at me and I'm told that I need. We don't really need it. Um, So we're hoping to, that's one of the projects for next year. Um, and obviously, a no, lot that's, of I mean, that's incredible, too. And on that marathon, too, I was reading your quote about how, I mean, even your choices of like your sleeping, your sleeping bag is vegan um, conscious. Yeah. And that and your your actual sleeping bag in your pack is heavier than other runners. And that's yeah, it was really important. Yeah, double the weight the first time I did, because obviously the lightweight stuff is the downfill stuff. But I don't yeah. use it. So I have no. synthetic products, which are heavier. So I've got like mm-hmm. this giant sleeping pack and everybody's getting out these tiny little things that kind of, they, they pull out of these like little packs and they go massive. And this is like, you know, you know, it's sort of going to keep me warm at all these temperatures. And I've got like this really heavyweight one. I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, it's a really <laughs> big pack. And I've got, you know, this, because of course the food products that I can use in these events, there were, especially in 2012 when I first did it, they weren't really available in vegan options. So I'd kind of got really heavy food and, and really heavy stuff. And like, you have to have all this stuff weighed and checked that your body weight will actually take it. And I'm not oh. that heavy. And she's looking at me thinking, you've got like an 11 kilo backpack. And it's oh. like, you know, 
practically a quarter of what you actually weigh, you know. So <laughs> it, it's not been easy to stick to your principles and your ethics. And, but no. I don't think it is in life. If you're a very ethical and principled person, it's, you, it's a lot tougher to go against the grain than just kind of sit back and say nothing. Um, and I think they say like the, the, the opposite of good is not bad, but it's kind of apathy. It's actually, to actually you know something's wrong, but you don't stand up and say something about it. So um, you have to be pretty tough mentally to kind of, I say, um, be different, if you like. Um, so I do understand all the issues when people come to me and say, say these things that they've sort of um, found in life. I do actually understand it because I face them myself. Absolutely. And I think you're, again, the perfect role model. And going back to our earlier segment, I'm, you know, role model and inspiration and, and a resource for people to look to when they when they do face those challenges. Because, I mean, it is, it, it's, it's sticking to a principle and believing in something that's important to you and important to your heart, truly. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's and, and sticking I mean, if I, with if it. I leave this planet and, so, you know, I feel that, like, kids can say, you know, if parents tackle them. I mean, I remember winning a marathon once and I was, like, the first woman to break, you know, the certain, I don't know, two, 255 or something barrier in this race. It's a real, real toughie. And um, while I was running, because my mom travels with me because my partner's never been able to see me run because one of us is always at the sanctuary. We've never even oh, been out for a meal together. Bless. Bless Martin. Um, <laughs> Poor Martin. Yeah, yeah, bless him. Yeah. He's there. Um, so so the, the mayoress was talking to my mom. She was going to hand the prizes out afterwards. And she, her daughter was 14 and wanted to go vegetarian. The lady mayoress was like, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not sure that you'll grow. I, I mean, you might be able to get by now, but what's it going to be like in the future? So when my mom said, this is my daughter coming, she's right in top place with the men. She, I was wearing my vegan runner top. When she presented me with my trophy, she said, um, you know, um, I, I, you know, you've relayed all my fears for my daughter. I'm, I'm really happy because I know that not only are you a role model for, like, you, you've been vegetarian, vegan for, for so young, but look at you now. So I kind of want to be positive proof for parents or people or doubters that a healthy vegan child will grow into be a healthy vegan adult. That's just a fact. There's no, no doubt. Uh, and not just not just an adult, but an adult that can achieve, you know, athletic endeavors too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that was that's another passionate cause of, cause of yours is that you don't. I mean, it's not just that you can function through life; it's that you can achieve incredible feats like you have achieved. I mean, that's. I mean, you're you're such an inspiration, Fiona. Um, oh, truly, <laughs> thank you. But yeah, I mean that is that is the important thing, you know. I, my kind of my kind of take on it, Brittany, was very very simple. Very, very there's no great model to my what I was thinking. I was just thinking to myself, I'm vegan. I'm frustrated that veganism does not get portrayed positively as a healthy option. Um, so okay, if, if for me to prove that people can function normally on a vegan diet, I think I've got to go and do something. If you like abnormal on a vegan diet, which might be running at the a marathon at the North Pole and and, and and kind of placing with the men, it might be running the toughest foot race on the planet. It it might be running a marathon at 14,500 feet altitude. But, you know, to, to just prove that I can do all these things as plant-based, long-term plant-based, so I'm sure that you can just, like, function through daily life or indeed go and do what I've done. You know, go and do what I've done on it. It's not going to stop you. In fact, I think the one thing that people say to me when they come to veganism or vegetarianism or plant-based or whatever you want to call it, after they've been, like, omnivorous, is that they don't just feel better in their body. They think, feel better in their mind and that's mm-hmm. what I was kind of saying with, when, when I stand on the start line I really do feel okay this is going to hurt but at least it hasn't hurt anything or anyone else and that's my important that's very very dear to me very dear to my heart 
It is. It's just so much of this life is about your mental capacity. Um, yeah. um, so we have, we're about to close this hour out. Um, I wanted to share with our listeners, how can people support your sanctuary? I mean, how can they find you? How can they donate? Um, what are their resources? Well, the best way to actually um, donate to the sanctuary is find the main website, which is towerhillstables.com, which is T-O-W-E-R-H-I-S-S-T-A-B-L-E-S, towerhillstables.com. And there's a donate button at the top of the page, which you can press, and there's all different ways that you can kind of donate via PayPal or what you can do to help. Or you can just search for Tower Hill Stables on the internet or just search for Fiona Oaks, and then you'll find my Facebook page and just write to me. And if you want advice or you, you even want advice on the veganism or the running, I'm, I'm always here. I'll always answer. I just wanted to spread the message, spread the love to everyone that is interested <laughs> in what I've done and, and or even just got questions about it, you know, just, just curious. Just contact to me, and I will be happy to. I will find the time to write back, and I will help you all I can, wherever it's, I can. It, uh, it's so true. I mean, you're honestly like a celebrity. And even when I met you in 2015 for our Triple Seven Quest, I mean, you were so just compassionate and just. I mean, honestly, the I, I chose you for one of our interviews because I felt you embodied the compassionate life and every sense of the word. And I just. Um, I mean, I just want to thank you so much for for being you, I mean, truly, and for doing everything you do, and then just for, you know, the, doing this interview, too. But um, please support Fiona Oaks and Tower Hill Stables. You can find them at towerhillstables.com. And um, any last piece of advice, Fiona? Yeah, just, just go out there and believe, and believe who you are, what you're doing is going to make a difference. You can do anything, the sky's the limit, if you just have the confidence to go out and try. And even if people say you can't do it, like they tell me I couldn't run, you, you, I'm not saying you can, you can do anything, but, you know, you can certainly find a lot more in yourself. If you're in touch with your, your soul, your mind, and your body, you can, you can achieve great things, and you can make a difference to others. And the give, giving to others and giving back to the planet is so much more rewarding than just anything you could ever buy materialistically for yourself. <sighs> Big sigh. That's so true. I mean, it's, it really is. It's, uh, uh, the, I couldn't have said it better, truly. So thank you, Fiona. It's been a pleasure. Um, I can't wait to follow you in all of your future endeavors and, I mean, upcoming media and, and films and documentaries. And I hope to meet you again and, and we run again together sometime in the future. But um, thank you so much, Fiona, for joining us. And this is A Compassionate Life. This is our final episode of On Voice America's Empowerment Channel. And I'm Dr. King, and thank you, Fiona. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of The Compassionate Life. Please join Dr. Brittany King again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, how will you leave your compassionate mark on the world? 